Hello, dear friends. Greg Kokel here. The show is Stand to Reason. And uh, as I always do, thank you for being part of our show today. And before I forget, and I do this frequently since we have two broadcasts recorded at the same time, which is a Tuesday, and uh, the first one's delivered on Wednesday, the second one is delivered on Friday. I forget to make the announcement regarding the Wednesday event until the one that comes out on Friday. That's dumb. So I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate that John Noyes from Stand to Reason, one of our speakers, is going to be doing To the Point Live uh, tomorrow, which is today for you receiving this if you get it right away. That would be October 26th at 12 p.m. PT. Make that noon. Okay. And he'll be live on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and, and talking about sex education in the public school system, which I have some things to say about as we start. Both John and I live in the same uh, area, actually. Well, he just moved now to a little bit further out, but we were both in Conejo Valley. Now he's in Camarillo, which is over the hill and on the coastal plain here, headed towards Ventura. But nevertheless, the, largely speaking, broadly speaking, we're in the same um, same uh, school district and what people are doing there. He'll, he'll be talking about that, okay, and bringing you up to date. So I highly recommend that you listen to what he has to say and uh also, just to let you know, I'm going to be speaking at Covenant United Reformed Church's Reformation Rally in Pantego, North Carolina, P-A-N-T-E-G-O. That's uh, about an hour and a half east of Raleigh. I'll be flying in there on Thursday, and I make that Friday, and then doing a Saturday event and the Sunday morning uh, as well. That's Pantego, North Carolina, Covenant United Reformed Church. Uh, and their Reformation rally on all day Saturday, then the Sunday service. You can find the details at covenanturc.org, covenanturc.org. And I'm saying it now so I don't forget it, because if I wait till next hour, you won't get it till Friday, and then I'll almost, I'll be flying there. Too late for you to plan. So sorry about announcements right out of the gate. But uh, just incidentally, though, now since I've already started at announcements, um... We've got 2,554 people signed up for Minneapolis Reality, and that's still over three weeks away. 2,554, all right? And uh, in Dallas, which is four months out, we got 170. If you want to sign up for a Minneapolis event, which is just going great guns, we're going to break 3,500 easy, um, is the way it looks. Just go to uh, realityapologetics.com and uh, you can be part of that. Now remember, this is dealing with deconstruction and deconversion, and that's what we're focusing on in this particular event. And uh, lots going on there uh, as Christians are taking a harder look at their own convictions and wondering whether they're true or not, and that's what uh, is going on all over the country, and so we're speaking to that issue. So if you have kids that are wondering, if you have grandkids that are wondering, if you have youth group people that are wondering, and every youth group has people like that, please, if you're within striking distance of Minneapolis, um, uh, make a plan to get on the road and spend Friday night and Saturday, all day Saturday with us, November 11th and 12th, okay? And we'll see you there. As we've got more coming up in the spring. You'll know about that. Details are there at... Uh, realityapologetics.com. I have in front of me the most recent edition of the Conejo Guardian. Now, I wrote, read from the Guardian 
a couple of weeks ago about some things that were happening in our my community. Now, I live in the Conejo Valley. That's the little bitty valley by comparison to the San Fernando Valley that is directly west of the San Fernando Valley, which is massive. You pop over the hill of Calabasas, and you come into Conejo Valley, and that's only about a mile and a half wide, and it's about... I don't know, 12 miles long, and it's got uh, communities like Thousand Oaks and Newberry Park and Westlake Village, and uh, um, it's kind of a conservative, quiet little community. But the reason that I, I, I'm i telling you about it, and I have a national audience, obviously, on the Internet uh, and even international, is because what's happening in Conejo Valley is probably happening in your own community. Okay, and I'm talking here about the Conejo Valley Unified School District. That would be the CVUSD. And I talked a couple of weeks ago about how under pressure from the parents, the CVUSD school board uh, reluctantly revealed their policies regarding sex education and of course, sex education when I was a kid meant something different. I was in junior high, nineteen sixty to nineteen sixty. It would make that nineteen sixty three and sixty four. Okay, roughly those school years. I got out June sixty four, out of eighth grade, and there was some controversy there about sexual education, and the controversy was: should strangers be teaching our children? about sex. And when I say sex, I mean just the basic, ordinary, birds and the bees type sex. That's all I'm talking about here. And it was a huge controversy. <clears throat> 50 years ago, that's the province of the parents. That was the argument. But the I think sounder heads prevailed that it's appropriate to teach biology, human sexual biology, to young people. And the concern was, by the way, back then, that sexuality, which is not just biological, but has a, a significant social weight and has <clears throat> moral elements to it, should not be taught in a, um, a, a, a morally um, neutral environment. That was a big concern. Okay. But nevertheless, and I think it's probably good that sex was taught in school and parents could make their contribution, whatever. But of course, now when we talk about sex education, we're talking about something entirely different. We're talking about indoctrination to a very particular understanding of sex and sexual behavior and of gender. And so <clears throat> this is what was revealed when the parents of the students demanded that the school board release their policies, which they did. And I read to you from the article from the Conejo Guardian a couple of weeks ago uh, what they revealed, and it was totally woke. Okay, just to sum up. But you're going to hear more because I have another article, and it's about a, uh, it, it's about a conflict in the school. And, and I, I'm basically going to read the article to you. Um, again, not to let you know what's going on in Conejo Valley, Southern California, but to let you know what is happening in a, you know, a sleepy suburb of Los Angeles, and we're really outside of the sprawl, so we're we're kind of not really L.A. We're more, you know, Ventura. We're in Ventura County. At least I live there, and it, actually it straddles L.A. County, County a little bit. 
Conejo does. But in, in any event, this is small-town America, uh, California-style, and this is what's going on. And so what I want you to see is something I wrote a lot about last year. Every article, every solid ground that I send out to you, and if you don't receive it, go to our, S- our website at str.org and sign up so you can get the stuff that we send out, which includes a 3,000-word or so, 3,500-word article every other month, plus a one-page mentoring letter. But I talked about this creeping and creepy totalitarianism reflected by very um, uh, divisive political viewpoints that is being taught from K through 12 in our schools and not just in Southern California. So let me just read this piece. I'll offer a little bit of commentary as I move along. And again, I, I, my suspicion is that what I'm reading about, the sentiments and policies that are being expressed here, <clears throat> are captured, are representative of much more of America than you realize. Headline here, local school leaders disgraced nationally as videos go viral. Hmm. I need to say this, by the way, about the Conejo Guardian. It is a conservative piece. That is, it's a newspaper written from a conservative perspective. It's sub, subbed here, Independent Community News. There is another one that goes out called The Acorn. This one is reflecting conservative concerns and are willing to expose things and report on things that somewhat legacy media are not willing to report on. So there is a little slant here, and you will catch it to some degree in the language. I get that. What I'm concerned about here is not so much the language, what I can get around that either side, whether this is a a more leftist reporter or a more conservative reporter. I can get around that. I want to get at the facts of the matter. All right. The Conejo Valley Unified School District, once a jewel in the crown of California public ed, has become a source of ridicule nationwide under the present strongly left-leaning school board. In four years, the board has pressed an agenda to sexualize children in all of the district's K-12 through classrooms. Videos from recent school board meetings have garnered millions of views showing outrageous statements made by CVUSD Superintendent Mark McLaughlin and powerful responses by parents and relatives of children in the district. In the most recent viral video, Superintendent McLaughlin commented regarding a student who touched himself sexually in a seventh grade classroom. Okay. I don't quote, in other words, this is Superintendent McLaughlin, I don't think that this is anything outside of the norm, close quote. The video has been viewed more than 408,000 times on Twitter alone, and we are gaining us and was gaining steam at press time by having just been reshared on TikTok. Now, I pause there because, oh, that's, I don't think this is anything outside the norm. Well, that could be read very uncharitably. And this is probably the way it was intended by the Conejo Guardian. So for me, I need to have more information than that to get understand exactly what McLaughlin was getting at. So I wasn't quite sure. Now it goes on to say, by the way, 
I'll have more on that in a moment. But I'm just letting you know that I'm trying to read this in an even-handed way, even though I know it's being written by a conservative writer. Continues, popular conservative media outlet The Daily Wire, now you guys know The Daily Wire is a very conservative outlet, wrote about the incident on October 13th, quote, a California superintendent defended a seventh grade boy allegedly caught masturbating in front of his classmates, insisting to shocked parents that it was normal, close quote, the news outlet said. Once again, that sounds like it's very, very biased in the way it's presented. I don't know what this means to be masturbating in front of classmates. You can get a picture of that, but I'm not sure if that's actually what happened. So I need to turn the page and continue reading. And this is still quoting from the Daily Wire. The superintendent, Mark McLaughlin, of the Conejo Unified School District, admonished parents for bringing up the issue during a school board meeting last month. McLaughlin disclosed that similar offenses occur at least once a year in their district, which he had said normalized, which he said normalized the incident. Um, Okay, so that's the piece. And then we have a quote from McLaughlin. I'm still wondering what exactly happened and what did he say that, that is being characterized as dismissive of the incident? I'm still wondering. I'm not just taking everything at face value. Okay, now they're quoting McLaughlin. I don't think any of you would want us up here chatting about an issue that took place with your child, said McLaughlin. Now just pause for a moment there. This troubles me. I don't think any of you would want us up here chatting about an issue that took place with your child. You're right. If my child had done something like that, I wouldn't want the world to know about it, but it still would be wrong. It still would be unacceptable behavior. It still would be something that needed to be addressed and disciplined. So my question is, why is McLaughlin now clearly being dismissive about this? He is relativizing it. Well, you wouldn't like it if somebody talked about your kid like that way. That's not the issue of whether I would like it or not. It's an issue of whether this is something that the school should um, put up with. So that was a big red flag on McLaughlin for me, now from words from his own mouth. He continues, I would say that at least once a year this comes up from both males and females within a school setting, and so I don't think this is anything outside the norm. Now we have the full citation, and this is not encouraging. Because something like this happens once a year, that this makes it normal, and we shouldn't really be concerned about it? Hmm. Another video from the recent CVUSD board meeting features a two-minute statement by concerned uncle Mario Presence. And here's, he blasted the CVUSD board and McLaughlin for sexualizing young children and wayward policies. And now I'm quoting here in the article what Mario Presence, a concerned uncle at the board meeting, said, quote, if I were to, if I were to teach your child about my sexuality without your consent or involvement, I'd be arrested. But when the school district does, it's education. Districts are teaching 
transgenderism when they should be teaching science, math, and language. Instead, teachers are hiding student pronouns from their parents under the guise of gender affirmation. He continues, the gross indoctrination we're seeing is creating a lifetime of medications and hormones because you can't simply pause puberty. Men cannot become women, and sex chromosomes are encoded into the fabric of our DNA. And uh, then he continues, simply affirming a teenager's gender is akin to affirming anorexia. Both are body dysmorphic disorders, yet we don't teach the starving teenagers how to binge and purge or affirm that they are indeed overweight. However, school districts, including yours, seem to have no issue secretly teaching girls that they can become boys because they feel uncomfortable in their bodies. Close quote. Presence later appeared on Jesse Waters' program on Fox News and some other news programs talking about uh, CVS-USD's sexualization agenda. So that's the the long and short of it. Uh, I was glad to get the citation in there from Presence because I think that this concerned family member is speaking common sense to the school board. Now, they didn't want to hear it, obviously. And um, and the, the the they go on to describe the article here. What I talked about last time: the high level attention comes at the radical, as the radical CVUSD board elected mostly in the past four years presses forward with the forced sharing of restrooms and locker rooms among girls and boys, the erasing of gender distinctions among students, the forced use of students' preferred pronouns, and the promotion of genital mutilation, such as breast or penis removal. Um, Through gender transition, for which the district promises to create, quote, support teams, unquote, to encourage students in the direction of radical life-altering surgeries. Now, obviously, the writer here is critical of this process. Just look at the details of the facts represented, many of these I mentioned last week. <clears throat> the, uh, the uncle, the concerned uncle, was completely accurate in the way he characterized what was going on. Our public school system has become a way for the government to indoctrinate according to a highly divisive and parochial point of view regarding sexuality, one that I honestly do not believe the vast majority of Americans agree with, and even if they did, it is not the job of the public education system to promote this ideology, period. But it's happening everywhere. I just cite CVUSD as an example of my community where this is happening. Now, all of these people, I think, are up for re-election in three weeks. I know how I'm going to vote. I'm, I'm going to vote for every challenger. Because if this is what this whole group of people have passed and tried to keep from the parents, I don't want them on the school board. Oh, well, your kids aren't even in public school. You're right. Thankfully. Well, then what do you care? They're training citizens that will have an impact in our culture. And even if my rights are not directly being violated because my children aren't being violated, it still is appropriate for me to speak up for other parents whose children are being violated. I, I... this this is this is not a self-centered thing where I'm being hurt, so I'm saying stop hurting me. 
What I'm saying is that this is not right. This is not good for our communities. It is not good for our culture. And frankly, if the shoe were on the other foot, which I wouldn't approve of either, and a very conservative group was advancing sectarian, divisive, conservative principles, then I would have the same objection. The irony, though, is any sectarian conservative principles that conservatives might be advancing are the principles that have been taught as solid foundational civic principles since the beginning of this great experiment called the United States of America. Now, this is different. This is progressive. We're moving on past those things. We're leaving those tried and true things behind. We are progressing beyond them. And uh, even without our consent. By the way, K through 12, that would be kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade. Remember, when I was a kid, the brouhaha was about sex education in this very benign sense when young people were in junior high and beginning to go through um, sexual changes in their life. They were entering adolescence. This is the time they need to know what's happening with their bodies. You don't need to tell a kindergartner about that, unless, of course, you're indoctrinating them to a certain point of view when they're really young, which is exactly what's going on. And it's going on everywhere. I'm very thankful that many adults, many parents are stepping up and they're saying no. They are writing letters. They are demanding that the school boards become transparent. And I hope that many of these non-transparent activist school boards that are intruding into the privacy of the lives of our families and sexualizing our children will be completely voted out of office in the next couple of weeks. I'm not talking about any particular candidate, so I'm just talking about an idea. And it's time for, it's time for, it's time to end this nonsense. Okay, enough said. Let's take a quick break. We have callers on board. I'll get to those when I return on Stand to Reason. What if I'm wrong? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There are times when we feel confident about our convictions, but there are other times, if we're being honest, when we encounter doubts that leave us wondering if we got it all wrong. This has caused many to deconstruct their faith. If you can't give a why to your faith, you won't be able to give a why not to your doubts. In other words, if you don't have a Christianity anchored in what's true, you will always be at the mercy of your doubts. That's why we're excited to announce this year's Reality Conference. Our theme is Seek and You Will Find. We will equip students to navigate their doubts by seeking answers to their toughest questions. Because when you seek answers, you find truth. It's time to examine the foundations of our faith, because a strong faith requires a strong foundation. Join us at one of this year's Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. For more information, visit realityapologetics.com. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. 
You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And red pen logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, red pen logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic. And subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Back at your friends, Greg Kokel here, giving you a piece of my mind. I do it every Tuesday from 4 until 6 p.m. Los Angeles time, and that would be the time to call in at 855-243-9975 if you have a question that you'd like to address, uh, want me to address, you want to ask me or whatever, and uh, that's the number. We just lost a caller here. We might still be able to get to the question itself uh, if I get clarity on that question, so... uh, but uh, we got some people on board now. Once again, that number is 855-243-9975. The time is 4 to 6 p.m. Los Angeles time. That's when I'm taking your calls. If you're outside of the U.S., 562-424-8229 is the number. Let's go to Kevin in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks. Hey, um, I met you at the uh, Cross-Examine Academy in Hamilton. Oh, okay. Um, I, go, I go to Zenoth you know, yeah. with Gary DeLash. Oh, yeah, sure. I remember Gary. In fact, I just was looking at a picture of him <laughs> from almost 50 years ago uh, in some old pictures I have. So back when he had hair and, uh, you know, <laughs> and I had hair, you know, uh, it was a different time. But, yeah. Yep. Well, listen, um, I go and uh, talk to kids at uh, Ohio State a lot. And came across a gay Christian uh, Sunday. Okay. And they're really um, hunkering down on this idea that the word homosexual was was mistranslated in the Bible. All right, in the hmm. First Corinthians. And I know that it's, I guess, up for debate that that one verse. All right, that she thinks that it was, it was a lesbian. She seems to think it was men with boy. So she's off off the hook, so to speak. My question to you is, I know there's several other places in the Bible that, you know, that um, say homosexuality is wrong. Is that same root word in those other verses the same one in Corinthians, or is it something well, different? Well, the one that's in Corinthians is, it appears to be a word that Paul invented. Okay. But that is absolutely irrelevant to the point. Okay. Because the word that Paul invented, and if Alan Schleeman were here, he could give me the, the all the particular details, but I'd have to give it to you in a general sense, but I know Alan has written about this, and it's on our website. Okay, and the but I'll tell you how this all came to be, and then I'll tell you why this point is utterly irrelevant. Okay, um, 
Uh, I'm just thinking of an illustration right now, so I'm chuckling to show why this would be irrelevant. But here's what happened. Um, this word, arsinokoites, which is the Greek word that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, or 19, let me just see. 9, yeah. 9, yeah. Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, hmm, nor homosexuals. Okay, wow, no homosexual. Well, that was pretty clear. Wait a minute, that word was made up. That word wasn't in the Bible. Well, um, I don't know what the King James says, but um, I know the Greek, and that's arsenikoites. Okay, now where did this word come from? And it is the combination of two words, man plus bed. Man plus bed. In other words, a homosexual is a man better. Okay, by the way, it's not a man-betting boy. It's a man better. Now, where did this word come from? Why did Paul put these two, uh, 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 two parts of a word together to make arsinokoites? Okay, it's because in the book of Leviticus, where homosexuality is condemned, and it says, if a man sleeps with a man the way he sleeps with a woman, this is an abomination. In the Greek translation of that text, this is called the Septuagint, sometimes characterized by the Roman numerals LXX, which is for 70. There's a little history to that, but the point is, this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done before the time of Christ. And what, what uh, in the Greek translation of that passage, they used these words that are part of that verse describing men having illicit and inappropriate sex with other men. And so Paul took the Greek portions of those words to describe homosexuality here in the passage. In other words, there would be no confusion for anybody who understood Leviticus to know that he was talking about that kind of behavior that was forbidden in Leviticus. Okay, you with me so far? Yeah. Okay, so if they say, well, this was an invented word, or maybe even the English word homosexual, as some have said, wasn't even in the Bibles until 1930s, they invented that word. Okay, fine. I, that's not a problem, and it's not even relevant, even if both are true. Why is that not relevant? Here, I'll give you an illustration. Let's just say... If I said um, it's, uh, let's just see if, if I said it's wrong to murder somebody, okay, or if I said it's wrong to heart knife somebody, okay, what heart knife? You just made that word up. That word is just made up. Okay, here is what the heart knife is meant to describe. You take a knife and you plunge it into someone's heart. You shouldn't do that. That's bad. Does it matter if the fact that I just made up the heart knife word to describe that action? Does it matter that I made that word up to describe that action? No. No, it doesn't matter what I call it. It's the action that it describes. So 
if we just let's just spell it out, a man takes a knife and plunges it into the heart of somebody else, that's bad. What if the Bible said that? And then in the New Testament, they called it heart knifing. Oh, they made that word up. It's irrelevant if the word that is used to describe the behavior is made up. It's only relevant if the behavior itself is condemned in the Bible. Do you follow my so point? It's man bedding. Man bedding? Man bedding. Arsinicoites. Okay. So you know, coitus is, is kind of... coitus is sex. You know, the English word coitus, C O I T U S. Yeah. That's right. arsinicoitus. It's man sex. Okay. okay. So, so, but I, what I what I want you to see, you can do the you can do the uh, analysis, the etymology of the word, and you see the connection of this word to the condemnation of homosexuality in the Greek translation of the Book of Leviticus. You see the connection there. So, this word is simply referring to that kind of behavior. What's interesting in the Leviticus passage is it doesn't say anything in Leviticus about boys and men, and how a man is oppressing a boy. If a man sleeps with a man the way he sleeps with a woman, that is an abomination. It is merely describing the behavior, not the kind of relationship, or the power relationship between the two. I know this argument that's been offered to you. Oh, yeah. that means I, I, I this know it, other thing. I know it, but I just wasn't sure on my feet at the time. I wish I could have said, well, it's, you know, that homosexuality is condemned in five other places in the Bible with a different Greek word. So well, it doesn't matter what it says in Corinthians. Well, I'll tell you Corinthians. what, it doesn't use different Greek words. It uses a description. I'm going to go to this in a moment. This is part of what I'm getting. It isn't like somebody just made up a word and it stuck it onto a behavior and said, this behavior is bad because we made a word that makes it sound bad. That's why I use the illustration of heart knifing. What they do is describe a behavior that is itself immoral, sticking a knife into somebody's heart, and then attach a word to describe the action. If the word is just invented, like heart knifing, that's irrelevant to the behavior that is described as wrong. And what the Scripture does is, is it doesn't just call all these things homosexuality. It describes behavior that we call homosexuality, because the behavior is what we now call homosexuality. And that's—I read from the Levitical passage, I cited it. It's Leviticus 17 and Leviticus 20 each have passages there. What I want you to see in that passage is a description of behavior. It is not a word that is translated homosexuality. Here's the Hebrew word for homosexuality. It doesn't have a word for that. It has a description of behavior. You see the point? Yeah. And the yeah, behavior like, yeah, in- it's not the behavior is 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 condemned irrespective of the uh, the quality of the re- or the nature of the relationship. This is why the the man boy thing uh, like this is pederasty. It doesn't it doesn't work because it's not what's being described. It's a different kind of behavior. Okay, so I told you about the. You with me so far in this? Right. I am. Okay. So it doesn't use words. It uses the description of the behavior. Yeah. It, in in all cases. Right. In all the cases in the Bible. It's, this verse 
this word that's being used in 1 Corinthians 6 is a word that, as far as I know, Paul invented taking the Greek words from the translation, the Greek translation, of the Levitical condemnation of the behavior. But the condemnation in Leviticus is a description of the behavior. It is not just a word, homosexuality, in the Hebrew. That's why—okay, does that make sense? It does now. Okay, okay, but I want to give you another passage, and that's—by the way, one could say, all right, to the person who says, oh, that's just talking about pederasty or something like that. Really? Where is that? In that passage. Where is it? Where do you see that in, in 1 Corinthians 6? It says here, homosexuality. Where is pederasty in view? Where does it talk about men having sex with boys? It doesn't say that. They insert that in there. Now, what the implication is, if you really knew what the Greek meant of that word, then you would realize it was just men with boys. But that isn't what the Greek means. Paul made that word up from the Levitical condemnation of homosexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, you don't want to go to Leviticus, because they complain about that? Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter yeah. 1. Okay, now yeah, I just want... Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I want you to think about the words that are being used here. I, I get a little bit... I can hear it in my voice. I'm a little bugged. And I'm a little bugged because of the manipulation that is going on with this kind of yeah. objection. Okay? Yeah, they're really clinging to this. Yes, okay, well, they're, they're, they are leaning on a bent reed. It's not a bent reed, it's a broken reed, okay? It can't hold them up. And um, so let's go to Romans chapter 1, and um, start in verse 25. Now, you know this whole passage, the context of this whole passage is about general revelation and mankind's sin before God. It is not talking about Greek or Roman um, culture. It is talking about mankind. For the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, okay? Here's what the world's like, Paul is saying. God's evidence is obvious, and people push down the truth. They suppress it. Why? Because they have unrighteous motives. They don't want to look at the truth. And then he gives, he talks about it for a few verses, and Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed creatures. They made, they worship idols rather than God himself. Those idols don't do anything. This is silly. They have ears they don't hear. They have eyes they don't see. They have mouths that don't talk. That's what Isaiah said about them. I mean, please, that's dumb. That's basically what he's doing here. So then God, they want to do that? Okay, God gives them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Hmm. What are they doing that's impure? That their bodies would be dishonored among them. So now he's talking about God letting them go to do something that is impure with their bodies. You with me so far? Yes. Yeah, nothing tricky here. All right. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Worship should serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them over, so now he's repeating it again, to degrading passions. Oh, now it's something that they were doing with their bodies that's impure. Now it's a degrading passion. For the women, okay, here we go. For the women exchanged the natural 
function for that which is unnatural. Now, the word function in Greek is krisis. Different translations differ, translate it different way, but it's still the same word. The word krisis means function. Paul is talking about plumbing. And here he's talking about lesbians, which right. is kind of interesting, because lesbians don't engage in pederasty. So he talks about lesbians here, and in the next sentence he talks about gays. So if we are just going to take their general rejection, oh, that's not—he's not condemning homosexuality. He's condemning pederasty and the abuse by men of boys. Wait a minute, he's talking about women here. He talks about women exchanging the natural function for that which is unnatural, and, verse 27, in the same way also— the men abandon the natural function of the woman. In other words, God built a woman to function sexually with men. Their body parts fit together. Men said no. They abandoned that woman that God made to function with them and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men, not men and boys, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, do you see here that what this is, is a condemnation of behaviors for which they give a precise description, Paul does, that both women and men engage in that are perversions of God's uh, I want to be careful how I use this, a perversion of God's design of their bodies to function a certain way. Yeah. Okay, so that ought to be, to every reader, absolutely crystal clear. What is being condemned yeah. here is both lesbianism and homosexuality based on the way God designed bodies to function together. It has nothing to do with men with boys or any of that other absolute nonsense. Yeah, and in the moment, um, I told I was quick to tell her, "Look, this is only one area that the word that it's mentioned. It's mentioned in five other ways, in or five other, you know, verses throughout the Old and New Testament." Right. And she seemed unfazed, and I wonder afterwards if she thought that that arsenicoitai was used in all five or six areas. Yeah. And I wish I could have said what I, you know, what we're talking about now. Right. Right. Know? So how I would have—I don't know. I'd say, I'm not surprised that you said that she seemed unfazed. And the reason is, is because I do not think this this woman was really looking to justify her views biblically to show that what she's concerned about is the Bible, and the Bible doesn't actually condemn this. Uh, my conviction is, and I've, I've had conversations like this before, it's very obvious— these are people who are committed to their behaviors, and they are trying to read verses in such a way as to sanitize their behavior, make it look good. But the commitment is not to the Scripture, the commitment is to the behavior. Now, there are exceptions to this, especially Christians who get confused, and they are being told by other—and when I say Christians, I mean real Christians—who are confused yeah. and told by other phony Christians— these are wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm using my words advisedly, 
because they look like us, but they encourage unrighteousness. And this is lawlessness. This is the way Jesus described them, I think, in Matthew 5. And they hear these others, and they have a natural urge. I shouldn't say natural. They have a a fleshly, carnal urge, a sexual urge, and therefore they, they are being told now, it's okay. The Bible doesn't speak against it. Now, if you talk to one of those and you show them what I showed, just showed you here, they're going to realize the Bible does nothing of the sort, that is, doesn't approve or it's not benign towards this behavior, and therefore they are going to try to live the life that God wants them to live. This is not, I suspect, the way your friend is, is living. She's just looking for an excuse to justify her behavior. Turns out the word yeah. homosexual isn't in most of these passages. Instead, the behavior itself is described. Yeah, she wasn't my friend. I, um, you know who Ray Comfort is, right? Yeah, sure. That's, I, I, um, I do uh, interviewing a la Ray Comfort on that campus. Oh, okay, good for you. Yeah, and um, it's good. You know, everybody should try that. You know, I <laughs> you find out which uh, which the popular restaurants are on campus. In this case, it's you know, three restaurants, and I get $10 gift cards, and I offer them one if they let me interview them from a Christian perspective, you know? Yeah. They're students. They need food, you know? And I say about one in three take me up on it. Yeah, that's great. Good for you. That's great. And, uh, of course, Ray does a fun job. He he does it on film. Everybody can watch him. Uh, Do you film yours, or just this is how you have your personal conversations? It's just I don't film them. I just, uh, it's the way, it's my mission field. Yeah, there, and, uh, there you go. And Campus Crusade for Christ at Ohio State has gone progressive. They're they're gay affirming. And I think you know you that, they that are. You say they're gay affirming. Is that what you said? Yes. You mean on that campus, or that's that yes. sounds surprising to me. I didn't know that. Yes, that's what I'm told by um, a real Christian of one person I came across. Huh. Well, um, I, I can't verify that, so I'll just let it be for now. It would be tragic, of course, if that's the case. But uh, the key thing I want you and our, the rest of our listeners to take away from this conversation is it does not matter what word a person uses to describe the behavior. What matters is if the behavior itself is condemned in Scripture. And that's exactly what we see in these passages, the behavior being described and condemned, and then implicit in the condemnation in both of these passages, Leviticus and Romans, is the rationale why it's condemned. God created man for women, men for women, and women for men sexually, and what's happening is the men are saying no to the woman God made for them, and the women are saying no for the men that God made for them, and they're burning in their desire towards one another and this is a uh, th- th- this is an unnatural function according to the language here it's a degrading passion according to Paul's uh, words here and he's clearly condemning the behavior of both lesbianism and homosexuality in this passage the behavior not qualifying it by the kind of relationship it is it's the behavior itself so that's the key and if you get caught in a rut like this again, you could just go to Romans 2 and ask this professing Christian what they make of this passage in light of what uh, they're telling you about homosexuality in the Bible. 
Okay. Right. All right. Incidentally, just so you know, I'm citing out of the New American Standard, which has, I think, the more precise characterization of the Greek language here, so there's no confusion. There are some translations that create um, confusion. They say something like, they, they turn from what is natural to what is unnatural. Well, that's, that's not crystal clear. Because uh, uh, somebody with same-sex attraction could say, well, same-sex attraction is natural for me. It's natural for me. I was born this way or something like that, and they can do the dodge. But you can't dodge the language of this passage clearly translated in the NASB. Yeah, and I just the last thing I'll say is I think as, as believers who are the type of believers who listen to this program, we really need to get on top of this, because it is that's it's, it's something it's a it's a hill they're dying on, and we need to know. We have to have short, pithy answers to mm-hmm. co- to show them, you know, and not be caught like a deer in headlights, like I kind not kind mm-hmm. of was I, the other day. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. That's why I would ask the question if somebody brought up First Corinthians six. They say and they say that's pederasty. Where do you find that this passage? They say, well, it's yeah. in the words. What is the word? What is the word? Well, the word comes from Leviticus, and that's not pederasty. Okay, or I just have them read this here in Romans chapter 1. So can you explain to me how you get that out of the Romans chapter 1 passage? Because that doesn't even yeah. use the word homosexual or lesbian. Right. Describes the behavior. Okay, got to go here, Cab. Thanks for your call, okay? Right. Thanks, Greg. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye now. Let's go to, uh, we got Brandon in Washington. Brandon, we got about six minutes here. Glad you called. Hi, Hi Greg. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Doing good, doing good. I had a really quick question for you. Okay. Um, so I'm a somewhat newer Christian. I would say I'm on the I'm on the spectrum of worrying about lots of things that maybe I don't need to worry about. My question is, when I pray, I often pray for bolder faith and deeper trust, and just I, I just want to be a better Christian. But I have this kind of irrational fear that every time I pray for being bolder or trusting in God more, having stronger faith, that's going to come at some crazy cost to my life, and I'm going to lose my house, lose my family. That way, that's the only way that I'll be able to trust in God by going through some crazy situation like that. And it's a super irrational fear. And I just didn't know if you'd ever dealt with something like this, or if you heard about it, or what advice you have for me. Well, uh, first of all, welcome to the family, and glad you know the Lord. And um, thank you that, I mean, it's a good sign that you're really concerned about living the kind of life that God wants you to live. Uh, I will say that I pray for faith— also, and I'm 49 years in the Lord, and I'm still praying for faith that God— there's a song, you know, that, that has a line that entails that request, and I kind of pray that song to the Lord, you know, and I—so uh, uh, that's a good prayer. Um, I'm not exactly sure what your concern is. You're thinking, well, if I get too much faith and too much boldness, I'm going to get myself arrested and leave my family in the lurch or something like that? Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like if I pray for deep trust in God, it, he's going to put me through some crazy tests that I'm not ready for, and I'm going to lose my family and everything that I love. Just to, Okay, I have a perfect example. I'm worried that I'm going to be Job if I, if I want to get really strong faith, essentially, if that makes sense. You want to get what? Say that again. I'm worried that I'm going to end up like Job in the Bible if I... Oh, okay. Have, 
It's, it, it, that's kind of a, a funny way of putting it. That's, that's essentially what I'm trying to get at. Okay, well, yeah, let me offer this, because I'm just looking. we got about five minutes to go. I, I, I think you should pray aggressively for virtuous things, and the things you've described are virtuous, and they should include prayer for your family and protection for your family, and then let God sort it out. What God is not going to do is he is not going to give you, you know, if you're praying, if you're praying for, for, well, how does Jesus put it, an egg, he's not going to give you a serpent. All right. I don't think you have to worry about God answering your prayers in a way that is going to be bad. He's only going to do what is good. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be hardship in your life. Uh, there's going to be that, regardless of what you pray for, because now you are, uh, in a, after a fashion, behind the enemy lines, okay? And uh, you are a stranger in a strange land, and the more you walk with Christ, the more you'll this will become obvious to you, okay? And, and trouble is going to find you if you are a faithful Christian. And this is why prayer is really important. I, I, Job was a very unique situation, and there's a lesson in there for us, and that is when trials and difficulties and travails come upon us, uh, God is still God even if we don't know why that's happening. But God will not give you more than is appropriate for you at this stage of your growth in Him. As you get older, it, the, and you get more mature as a Christian, the trials don't go away. They get harder, <laughs> because you're stronger. The challenges get greater. I mean, this is just a a hard reality of Christian growth. But the Lord will not give you more than you can manage, and He is there with you, and your family as well. So on the one hand, I, I, I want to tell you, you do not need to worry about what you're worrying. But that I'm not saying that things aren't going to get hard and they won't be difficult for you and your family, because now you're a Christian in a non-Christian world. And as Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So that's the promise that we have. So I encourage you to keep praying virtuous prayers and to seek living a virtuous life before the community and before your family. And and then let God answer the prayers in the way he desires to answer them. Does that make sense to you? That, that does make sense to me. I, that makes a lot of sense. And I think oftentimes I try to, even if I don't think I'm doing it, I think I try to be God in my head when I pray for things. I try to see the future too much, and I end up being way too, I don't know, maybe narcissistic without even thinking I am. I think that's a lot where comes from that. Well, I don't think you have to worry about God's answers to your prayer. He's not going to give, uh, <laughs> what a qualified, he's not going to give the wrong answer. He may not give you the answer that you pray for, but he's not going to give you something that's not good, because he's a good God. And whatever he allows you to go through is going to be good for you. Every Christian goes through difficulties and trials. And it's probably good that 
that uh, I lay this out for you early on in your Christian life. It's something that I got wind of pretty quickly, too. And it's good to know that, because if you don't, and you have a, a different perspective, or somebody tells you, well, yeah, everything's going to be easier. The more you walk with God, the easier it gets. It's, then they're not telling you the truth. And um, by seeing, having your expectations be biblical and sound, um, it's, it's, it, you're not going to get caught by surprise, okay? Um, and that's basically what I'm saying here. Okay, Brandon? Okay. I, no, I heard you. Thank you. I appreciate the call, though, and I hope that helps. And if things get rough and you want to chat again, just give me a call. I will. I got your number now. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> you do. All right. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate the call. That's the truth of it, friends. And um, whatever you're one by is what you're one to. We win people to an easy life filled with the Spirit, and everything's going to be great. That's what they're going to expect. expect. We let people know we want you to be a follower of Christ, be forgiven of your sins, and walk with Him and carry your cross. That's what it's all about. Then that's the kind of life they're going to live as well. Anyway, there's my time, my music. Thank you for being part of this hour. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven. Bye-bye now.